Um, it's like saying how important is air, how important is light. You know, there's just nothing you can compare to that. Air is important, light is important. For a Christian, the Holy Spirit of God is just that vital component for our Christian life. The, the, the second little message that we had was to do with the identification of the Holy Spirit of God. And we were talking about the amount of confusion that exists in the day and generation that we live. You go to any Christian bookshop or go online, Google the work of the Holy Spirit, put in YouTube, look for what... You'll get a variety, a, a great multitude of teachers and teachings on the Holy Spirit, and they would all be different. And there's a great area of confusion about the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And one of the things we were doing, the last thing was, was how do we identify? How can we tell the difference between the true work of the Spirit and a deceptive, counterfeit work of the Spirit? And I don't know if you remember, one of the things I was trying to show you was that First uh, Corinthians 14, the book of First Corinthians was written, one of the main reasons we'll talk about is, the next week, is because the Corinthians had got so much wrong. <laughs> they'd been taught well, but they'd got so much wrong. And they had particularly got this idea of the work of the Spirit wrong. They'd been corrupting the work of the Spirit and they'd been uh, counterfeiting the work of the Spirit. And Paul writes 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14 in particular to correct them in their understanding of the work of the Spirit. And if you remember, we picked out a particular verse and it said this about the work of the Holy Spirit of God. All things was done decently and in order and that God is not the author of confusion. And we saw that one of the very basic identifying marks of a work of the Holy Spirit is it's a work of order and it's a work of decency and it's not a work of confusion and that was one of the things we'll talk more about identifying the work of the Holy Spirit I guess one of the other things that you would say about identifying the work of the Spirit of God is this that the most common expression in the Bible when it comes to the Spirit of God is what? The Holy Spirit, isn't that right? Uh, I just went through it today, and seven times, uh, no, sorry, 96 times he's called the Holy Spirit, 25 times he's called the Spirit of God, 31 times he's called the Spirit of the Lord, and once he's called the Spirit of Holiness. And so the most common expression or title for the Spirit of God is the Holy Spirit. And so his character is holy, and by definition, his work in the life of the believer is to do what? Is to promote holiness. That's his purpose, and we'll talk a little more about what that means in practical detail. But the idea is this, that God's spirit works within us to produce in us a character that's consistent with God's character. And what is the primary characteristic of God? What is it? It's holiness. It's holiness. Love as well. His love is holy. You're absolutely right, Stephen. But God is holy, isn't he? God is holy. And he says, and Peter, Peter will say this, Be ye holy, even as I am holy, saith the Lord. And so if the work of the Holy Spirit of God is a work of order and decency, it's also a work of holiness. 
So immorality, um, carelessness, uh, all that sort of triviality is so foreign to God's character and is so foreign to the work of the Holy Spirit. So tonight what I wanted to do is, if we looked at his importance and we looked at his identification, I want to talk about his impact in the life of the individual tonight. Because uh, the Holy Spirit of God, if you will read one of the verses about how he works in the world, this world at the moment is the object of the work of God's Spirit. God's Spirit is at work in the world, isn't it? And we pray for that, that God's Spirit will move. So when we have people coming in to hear the gospel, what are we, what are we praying for? We're not praying that the preacher will be convincing in his arguments although preachers do endeavour to be as clear and as, as cons- and helpful as they can but we're not praying that people will be persuaded by arguments what we're praying for is that people will be convicted by God's spirit about the truth of God's word and then God's spirit will work on them to regenerate them and bring them to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and so what we're praying for in the world is the work of the Holy Spirit God's Holy Spirit works in the church as a whole, doesn't it? The church is the body of Christ and God's Spirit works in the church as a whole. That would be true in a universal sense. What I mean by that is every single born-again believer in the Lord Jesus Christ that exists in the world, every single one without without merit, without the reason for merit, every single one is equally indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God and he is the one who binds God's people together, isn't it? Remember Paul talks about uh, uh, endeavouring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the uniting bond of peace. What brings us together locally as well? What makes us more than the Slimming World Club, or the Bowling Club, or the Tennis Club, or the, what makes a church a church rather than just a club? It's God's Spirit, isn't it? It's because you're a possessor of God's Spirit and I'm a possessor of God's Spirit that we can actually form the, the body of Christ and be a local church. But what I'm thinking about tonight is God's work in us as individual believers. Because each individual believer is individually permanently and immediately on conversion indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. Now that sentence in itself would take a lot of explaining, but we just won't bear with it. So we're going to read from John chapter 14, and we're going to read what the Lord Jesus says, some of the things that he says about the Holy Spirit of God. Look at this. John 14 and verse 15. There's a lot of teaching in the upper room ministry of the Lord Jesus about the Spirit of God. And we're just going to pick out some of them. Here, here we go. The Lord Jesus says this. He says, And I will pray, 15, If you love me, keep my commandments. So, just by taking that, before we get to the Spirit of God, what is the primary evidence that somebody loves the Lord? From this verse. Is it a profession of the lips? Now, it's lovely when we can say we love the Lord, isn't it? But the Lord says this, the primary identifying factor in the life of somebody that says they love the Lord Jesus is this, they are obedient to his commandments. So, a primary 
fundamental character of a Christian that loves the Lord Jesus is this, they are obedient to the word of God. So let's read. He says this, And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter. And you go a little further down, and it says this, that the comforter that he will send is the, so verse 25, these things I have spoken unto you, being yet present with you, but the comforter, verse 16, another comforter, but the comforter which is the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. So when we're reading about the comforter, we're reading about the Holy Spirit of God. So let's read that. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not neither knoweth him but ye know him for here's what I want you to notice he dwelleth with you now this is not an English class and I'm not qualified to preach English but simply is this he dwelleth with you means At this present time, the Holy Spirit is with you. Old Testament, you read the Old Testament, you'll read about the work of the Holy Spirit. God's Holy Spirit works everywhere. He works everywhere. But in the the Old Testament, he worked with people and he came upon people. You'll never read about him indwelling people or being in people. You'll hear about him coming upon people and bearing people along and working with people. And the Lord Jesus is saying to the disciples that are with him at the moment, the day that you're living in right now, today is a day when the Holy Spirit is with you. But look at the next little phrase. And he shall be in you. Now, shall be is not present. Shall be is future. So what the Lord Jesus is saying is, there's going to come a time in the future when the Holy Spirit will work in a completely different way till he's worked to how he's worked already. Until now, the Holy Spirit has been working with you, coming upon you for special circumstances. But there's going to come a time in the future where he won't just be with you, he will be in you. And we know what he's talking about because we have the benefit of the whole Bible. We know we're ta- the Lord's talking about that change that happened on the day of Pentecost. When the Holy Spirit came down from heaven and the, the church was baptised in the Spirit. We'll talk the next time uh, we're together about the Holy Spirit. We'll talk about what the Bible defines as the baptism of the Spirit and the filling of the Spirit. That's really, really important to understand those truths. But we know that at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came down. The Lord says, I'm going to send my Spirit. And the Spirit came. And we now live, me and you, we now live in probably, actually, the most privileged age in all of human history. I really believe that with all my heart. You know, we talk about, you know, things are tough as Christians. The UK is not. I understand that. But this period of time, since the coming of the Spirit of the day at Pentecost, right up into now, we live in a day on earth that there's never been a day like it before. Never been a day like it before. And there's lots of reasons for that. One is this. Me and you have in our possession, in our own language, the complete 
revelation of God and his word. That's an amazing thing. Do you know that that's only really been available to people in the last three or four hundred years? For the bulk of the church age, most Christians didn't have a Bible like we have. And even in the way back in the 1500s and the 1600s and even into the 1700s, very few people were actually in possession of a Bible of their own. But here is me and you, and we've got Genesis to Revelation. We've got the whole revelation of God and his word. And so God has spoken fully and finally. Isn't that right? Well, he's spoken fully and finally, Hebrews 1 says, in his son, or in son. But when we get to the end of the book of the Revelation, it's not a coincidence that the, the book of the Revelation finishes like this. Let nobody add and let nobody take away. So me and you... That's why I'm so keen that we should have our Bible and read our Bible because this is the full revelation of the word of God. God has nothing more to say than he's already said in his word. Right? So that's a great privilege. But we live in a day when the Holy Spirit is at work in a way individually that he's never, ever been before. And we live in this special age of God's Holy Spirit where God's Spirit indwells us, God's Spirit empowers us, God's Spirit leads us, God's Spirit reveals us. There's nothing about our Christian life that we can do apart from the Holy Spirit of God. Isn't that right? And we have the Holy Spirit of God. Uh, We won't take time to prove it now. But on believing, the Bible says, ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Every single believer in the Lord Jesus Christ on the day of new birth is indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. There's no first and second class Christians. There's no Christians that need a second experience. We need constant experience of the Holy Spirit of God. But there's no believer that doesn't have the spirit of God matter of fact Romans 8 says this if any man have not the spirit of God we've been through that in Romans 8 haven't we if any man has not the spirit of God he is not one of his so the possession of the spirit of God is one of the primary evidences that you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and if you don't have a possession of the Holy Spirit of God you're not a true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ so let me, let me just, so, so we're reading this in, in uh, John chapter uh, 11, the Lord Jesus says, things are going to change. At the moment, he's with you, but in the future, he's in you. And we're living in that period of time when the Holy Spirit of God is in us, unbelieving. Just turn over to chapter 16. We'll just read a, a few more verses. I'm trying to gallop through this, folks, just to try and get on as best we can. Verse 13 of uh, John chapter 16 says this. Howbeit when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. So if we're looking for a mark of a work of the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God will guide us, lead us, direct us into all truth now that doesn't mean just 
to teach us what the Bible says. It means to bring us into the reality of the experience of what the Bible says. To be in the truth is not just to know the truth, it's to be living in the truth. Living in the truth. He says this, he will guide you into all truth. He shall not speak of himself. <laughs> Let's stop here. We need the Holy Spirit of God to teach us who he is and what he does. We absolutely do. That's what we're doing at the moment. We're talking about the Holy Spirit and we're trusting that God, by his Spirit, will teach us the truth of the Holy Spirit. What this means is not that he will never mention himself. What it means is he will not be prominent in the talking about himself. He'll not be the subject, the main subject of his ministry. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is not to draw attention to himself. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is, well, look down, you look what it says in verse number uh, 14. He shall glorify me. So the Holy Spirit's function is not to turn the attention on himself, it's to turn the attention to Christ. The Holy Spirit does not say, look at me. The Holy Spirit says, look at him, look at him. Now, you go down to the Millennium Bridge. If you've been down the Millennium Bridge at night time, you'll see it. it's all different coloured lights, isn't that right? Sometimes it's blue and sometimes it's red and sometimes it's green. And they've got these lights in the bank that shine on the, the bridge. And um, sometimes it's all different colours and all that sort of thing. I confess to you, when that Millennium Bridge was first put up, I thought it was really ugly. But I really like it now. It has kind of grown in me. And we often, when we have visitors come to stay with us, one of the uh, ways of filling in the time, rather than just sitting in at home, is we'll take them down to the Millennium Bridge at night and we'll walk on the riverside and we'll let them look at the bridge. And we'll take them down at night because the lights shine on the bridge and they show the bridge up in all its glory. All its glory. Now, I don't take people down to the, the riverside and say, come on, I'll sh- come here. Look in the bank here. Can you see these lights? You see, 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 see the difference? See how much wattage is in them? Can you see, what, see the glasses in them? No. Those lights are there, but the purpose of the lights is not to draw attention to themselves. The purpose of the lights is to throw the glory onto the bridge. The purpose of the light is not to say, what a great light. The purpose of the bridge is to say, the purpose of the light is to say, what a great bridge. Isn't that right? This is what this means. The purpose of the Holy Spirit is not to say, what a great spirit. The purpose of the Holy Spirit is to say, what a great Lord Jesus. And that's a primary identifying characteristic of the Holy Spirit of God. And you're listening to somebody speak, and you're going to some meeting, and you're going to th- and you're thinking to yourself, who is prominent in this preaching? Who is prominent in this meeting? Is it the Holy Spirit, or is it the Lord Jesus? The Lord Jesus says his purpose will be to draw attention to me. And so in the the life of the believer, it's the Lord Jesus, it's the Holy Spirit's work to make us more like and more in communion and more knowledgeable about the Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes we sing, there's there's a hymn in our book that we sing, more about Jesus would I know. More of his grace 
to others show more of his saving fullness see more of his love who died for me more more about Jesus tell me more about Jesus and that's the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the individual now we're more a lot more to say we're getting too near half past eight for me to continue on but let me say three things and then we'll finish number one is this there are three basic questions that every Christian should ask themselves, no matter how long they've been a Christian, whether they've been a Christian for a week, or a month, or a year, or a hundred years, or, or, or 50 years. These three questions should be right at the very forefront of our mind. Number one, what did Paul say on the road to Damascus when he became a Christian? Lord, what do you want me to do? Because a Christian is someone who wants to please the Lord. When we were not a Christian, do you know what we did? All we did is want to please ourselves. Isn't that right? But now we're a Christian, our desires have been completely transformed. Our desires have been completely changed. We just want to please the Lord. And the great question is that most, if, if you're a Christian and you've never asked this question, you need to ask yourself some really deep questions. Lord, what's, what's the will of God for my life? Right? What is the will of God for my life? And the answer to that, in the main, is actually really simple. The will of God for our life is to be obedient to the word of God. And 99% of discerning the will of God for our life is just knowing what the Bible says and being obedient. Isn't that right? So if we want to know what to do, we, we are obedient to the word of God. And that's what I was trying to say earlier on. If you love me, keep my commandments. So that's the first question. Every day, Lord, what do you want me to do? The second question, and probably one that maybe escapes most of us uh, for a long time, it took me a long time to actually grasp this in my own life. Why do I do that? Why do I do that? Because if our salvation is by faith, by grace, and it's a gift of God, and our salvation is not dependent on us doing anything and being obedient, why do we do these hard things as a Christian? Because, folks, if you're going to live a Christian life, I mean a real Christian life, it's kind of tough, isn't it? It's a hard life. If you want an easy life, don't become a Christian. Because everything in the world rebels against people who want to live for the, the pleasure of God. Isn't that right? The world's your enemy when you want to be a Christian. The devil's your enemy if you want to be a Christian. The devil has no problem with lukewarm, half-hearted, um, formal Christians. No problem with them. If you want to just fit your Christianity in a wee slot in your life, the devil has no problem with Christians like that. It's when a person's wholeheartedly out in devotion for the Lord, that's who the devil has a real problem with. And if you really want to serve the Lord, the devil's against you. And so it's going to be tough. And I don't know about you, but the more God puts in my heart to a desire to obey him, the more the old flesh rebels against that. And here's, here's me a long way down the Christian road, probably a lot further down than most of you here, and I actually find that struggle probably more intense than it's ever been before. Ever, ever been before. So if being a Christian is so tough 
and so difficult. Why do we do it? Why do we do it? Well, the simple answer is this. We don't do it for us. We do it for him. We are living now for the glory of God. God has taken our lives that were corrupt and miserable and wretched and ruined by sin and totally incapable of producing anything good. God has taken us and dwelt us by his spirit and given us the potential to be creatures that will reflect glory back to God. That's an amazing thing, folks. That wherever you are in your home, in your job, in your college, in your church, that you can be someone that reflects glory back to God. You know, it, it took a long time for that to drop out, penny to drop in my mind. See, I thought being a Christian was all about me. <laughs> and, and I suppose when I got saved as a young boy, it was primarily about me. I knew I was a guilty sinner bound for hell and I wanted to be saved. So it was about me. But I thought for a lot of my Christian life that it was about me. Lord, thank you for saving me. Now just, just bless me. Just keep pouring it out, Lord. Just, just keep it coming, Lord. Just keep it coming, Lord. And you know, it was even, I can't remember who did the end of Romans 11, but it was Romans 11 that caught my attention. At the end of Romans 11, after Paul's talked all about the gospel and the glory of the gospel, do you know what he says before he moves on to this practical section about living for the glory of God? He says this, For of him... And through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. And that's it. That's what motivates us. That's what gets you up out of your bed in the morning. That's what gets you reading your Bible. That's what gets you standing against the world. That's what gets you fighting against the devil. That's what gets you suppressing the, the thorns of the flesh. It's because... By doing that, he gets the glory. But here's my third question. And we'll finish with this. If we know what we have to do, and we've got a reason to do it, why we do it, how do we do that stuff? How do we do it? Do we just kind of grit our teeth and clench our fists and, and muster up as much strength as we can and just battle on against all odds can we do it in our own strength well read it first read John 14 or John 15 and the Lord Jesus Christ says this in the context of the Holy Spirit without me you can do what nothing it's not that we can make a weak contribution we can't bring 50% and then the Lord add 50% we can bring 10% and the Lord add 90%. We can bring 1% and the Lord add 99%. Without that work of God's spirit in our life, we just can't do it. We'd be as well given up. That's why he says, when the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, is come. Now you know what the word Comforter means, don't you? It's from the same, it's from the same root word as fellowship. It means Somebody that comes alongside to aid. And so when we come to the Holy Spirit of God, brothers and sisters, there's no part of our life that we can live for the glory of God without the work of the Holy Spirit in us and through us. We are so dependent upon him. That's why we need to grasp 
what the Bible teaches about the filling of the Holy Spirit. And that's why we need to grasp about the truths of grieving the Holy Spirit or quenching the Holy Spirit because that work of the Spirit in our life is such a tender, delicate thing that it can so easily be compromised and and hindered. And so, if we know how important the Holy Spirit is and we know how to identify his work, we need to live in the reality of that life and impact in our life. By God's grace, if we get another opportunity to speak about it, that's where we'll go with our next instalment. How do we really see that work of the Holy Spirit? How Paul says in, in, um, uh, in Ephesians 5, be ye filled with the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? I mean, to be filled with the Spirit. Is that some kind of mystical, magical plug-in experience? Actually, it's not, if you look at it in in what the Bible says. So we trust the Lord will encourage us to look to the Lord, teach us from his word how much we need his work of the Spirit in our life and enjoy that. Let's just pray. Lord, we're grateful. We're grateful that even dull and weak scholars like us can be taught by thy word. That you've given us a brain and an ability to read and we're thankful for that but we do know that beyond our ability to read the words we need the Holy Spirit of God to teach us the truth and we do pray that as we think about his gracious work his tender work his empowering work everything about him Lord while he would not seek to draw attention to himself we pray that we might come to understand that deep significance of God's Holy Spirit's work in our life And that we won't just come to know it in our head, but we'll come to experience it in our life. That he might become really that true comforter to our heart and power in our life that will help us to live for thy glory. So we're grateful, Lord, just for thy word and for thy spirit. And we pray that thou would bless us now as we part from this place in the Lord's name. Amen. We do have a little tea and coffee and one or two refreshments if you've got time to stay.